Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus has, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposes our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through, the, through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I, will, I was rescued from the, the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Ornisiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, and I left uh, Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with you, your spirit. Grace be with you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And uh, here we are wrapping up the last letter of the Apostle Paul. The last known words inspired by you, written through him. May you use them in a powerful way in our lives, Lord. Come Holy Spirit, speak to us, teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking, man, I'm so glad that my mom didn't name me Putin's. I don't know. I, I was thinking like, I think I might have been made fun of at school. And, you know. Uh, about three or four years ago, my wife and I, there was a fellow that we were fellowshipping with. And he, he was so excited for us to see Phantom of the Opera. And so, I know you laugh because you look at me and go, dude, you don't look like a theater guy. You would be right about that. <laughs> so I was not as excited, but my wife was excited and my kids were excited. We thought we would do something new. So we bought Phantom of the Opera tickets in Nashville and uh, we went to watch the show. And, you know, there's, there's various acts in it. You know, there's intermissions and things like that. And um, as, as the show uh, comes to an end, as the, the play is, you know, the very last scene is over, you have what's called the final curtain. And after I woke up hearing people applauding and, and all of those things, I look over and I see people crying. I see people standing saying, bravo, bravo. And I'm like, what is happening here? Of course, the show's over. It's time for the crowd to respond. They knew the cue. They understood what the final curtain was. And so the response came. Thank you for your, uh, you know, your performance 
to us. It was wonderful. People were caught up in it. But the cue was the final curtain. All the lights went down. The crowd began to funnel out. And people went their way with some sort of an impression of that theater play. And for some people, it made great impact in their life. For others, it made zero impact in their life. That would be me. <laughs> Your life is like a play. And there will come a point in time in which you, the final curtain will come down on your life. The question is, how will people respond to that? What will be their response when the lights go down and people funnel out of that celebration of life service? The question is, what will they be left with? What kind of an impression have you made in this world upon those around you? I know it's not a performance and you don't have to wear funny costumes and there are often or no real lights or a crowd to play to, but the reality is that um, you are leaving something. What is it? We started out this book of the Bible, 2 Timothy, with the idea that our lives are, were to leave a legacy to those behind us, those who, will, uh, who are coming upon us. And that's what Paul is doing. He's lived a life of legacy, and he's passing the baton to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, here is the gospel. I'm entrusting you with it now. You take it forward. My job is done. I'm, I, my life is complete. And Paul says, I've run the race. I, I, I've, I've completed my task as a good soldier does. And now it's time for me, he says, to receive my crown of righteousness. And again, we talked about that last week, that it's not necessarily the righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ, but that is the only way to heaven, by the way. You can do nothing to get to heaven except for receive the righteousness of Christ. But the crown of righteousness that Paul was receiving there was a crown of his righteousness lived out after um, he came to Christ. It's really a reward for faithfulness, for doing the work of ministry. He told Timothy here in this last chapter, fulfill your ministry. And Paul has fulfilled his ministry. It's now his life is coming to an end, but he's passing the baton to Timothy. And here's the reality. When people, people are still talking about Paul's legacy today, people are still talking about the impact that he has had on their lives. He wasn't a great writer. He wasn't, you know, uh, uh, somebody that was just this giant, uh, you know, pillar of the faith, orator, all of these sorts of things. Paul was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, just like you. And here's the deal. He lived his life out empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why do I say that? Because I want you to understand that the same Holy Spirit that used the Apostle Paul is in you if you're a Christian. And he wants to use you. And he wants to do something significant in your life so that sometime down the road, generations after you're gone, people are saying, remember them? Remember this person? How incredible they were. We talk about pillars of the faith all the time. Again, the reason why people are impactful for Christ is because of the Holy Spirit inside of them. 
them allowing the Holy Spirit to use them in, in their lives and walking in obedience to Christ. There are people in this room that are going to leave incredible impact on this world when the final curtain comes down for them. There are people here right now that God is going to use in incredible ways. And here's what I want to say to those people who uh, that may not be the case. It can be if you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life just like the Apostle Paul did. It's not about how great you are. It's about how great he is. And he is great. And he can do great things through you. So here we have Paul. It is the final curtain for him. His life is over. He is, he is, he is done, so to speak. And uh, so he, he's writing this last letter to Timothy. And you can hear almost the father, the, the, the father's emotions in this text as he is writing to Timothy. He's telling him, Timothy, come soon. I miss you. I love you, Timothy. I, I long to be with you, Timothy. And not only Timothy, but, but other people. You know, it's interesting. The last words of the Apostle Paul, he could have written, well, he couldn't have written about anything because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these specific words. But here's what's interesting about it. Is that the last two subjects that Paul will write about are people and prized possessions. People and prized possessions. And it's interesting, I want you to see that those prized possessions that he talks about have nothing to do with cars or houses or bank accounts or 401ks or anything like that. Listen to what he calls prized possessions. Timothy, make sure you bring my cloak, which is just practical. We'll talk about that. It's a, an overcoat. It's like his blanket that he needed because winter was coming. That was a prized possession for people in that period of time. Uh, but, but it's not like it was some outlandish, you know, Armani suit with the uh, Gucci bag or whatever. And that's not what he's talking about. But here's what's also interesting. The other prized possessions of Paul were his books and especially the parchments. And we're going to find out that that's relating directly to the Word of God. The only thing Timothy or Paul wanted at the end of his life was Timothy and some of the other brothers to come to be able to, 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 to be there with him in his last moments in life. And he wanted his books. He wanted the Word of God so they could meditate on the Word of God. I kind of know what that's like. I would, if I were Paul and I were in his situation in prison, right, knowing that I'm going to die soon. I don't know when, but I know I'm going to die soon. I know the curtain's coming down. I would want those whom I love the most to be there with me. I would want my wife to, to be there with me. I would want my children to be there with me. First and foremost, because I find comfort in their faces. I have relationship with my wife, with my children. I love them so much, and, and their, their presence alone would bring me a lot of comfort in that moment. But not only that, but also that I might comfort them, that I might say to them one last time before I breathe my last, if God were to allow me to do that, this isn't goodbye. This is just so long. I'll see you soon. Don't you worry. You'll be coming too. Your, your final curtain will come too. And then I would, would remind them of what the Word of God says about death and the believer. That there is no sting in death. 
for the believer. That Christ has overcome it. And I would, I would want to bring that comfort to them. I know this personally because I was there when my dad died. I was there by his bed. I, I was there when he breathed his last breath. And I thought that I wasn't sure how I would... I've never been in a situation like that before. I wasn't sure how I would handle that. I wasn't sure if I would be able to... If, I, if that would become a nightmare for me or if that would become a source of comfort. And for me, in that situation, seeing my dad, my dad needed me there. He needed to hear the words of assurance that Jesus is with him, that Jesus is going to see him through this, that, you know, he, he's placed his faith in Christ and that's enough and God will transition him through the grave. He needed me to be there, but I needed to be there so that I could be with him as well. Because little does he know, he brought great comfort to me in that moment as well. And I used to have an incredible fear of death. And that's what actually caused me to come to Christ. Serious anxiety about dying. And I gave my life to the Lord. But I've never had to stand face to face with somebody that's dying in that moment. And I thought, man, I don't know if I'll, can I handle that? And you know, the Lord uh, had me there with my dad, not only so I could be a source of comfort for him, but so that he could be a source of comfort for me. And he transitioned. And you know what? I have comfort in what I saw. I have peace in what I saw. I was there. I know the Lord was there. And so I understand what Paul is saying here. Come, Timothy, to me soon. I want to be with you. I want to impart some comfort to you, but I want you to impart some comfort to me. Paul wants Timothy to come, but also Mark, which is interesting. If you know anything about that story... Paul didn't want to be around Mark at one point. And yet there's reconciliation. And I don't know if you heard it in the text, but it says, bring Mark. He's very useful for my ministry. At one point he was very not useful for the ministry. There's a lot of things going on in this text with people and what God is doing in people's lives. And your life is somewhere in this picture as well. So let's see what the Lord would say to us this morning as we close out this book. There's a few things that we find here in these final words of Paul. We find a request to come in verses 9 through 10. We find uh, Paul tell Timothy who to bring in verses 11 through 12, what to bring in verse 13, what to watch out for in verses 14 and 15, who to trust in verses 16 through 18, and his final thoughts in verses 19 through 22. We begin with the request to come. Look at verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Timothy to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. If I were to make a movie scene out of this moment right here, this is what it would look like. Paul would be in a prison, and it wouldn't, he wouldn't be all glammed up, he'd be all dirty, he would be cold, he would look like he's in want. And I would be flashing to memories of Timothy in this moment where Paul is thinking about Timothy and thinking about his first interactions with Timothy as a boy, thinking about his first, uh, you know, prayer with Timothy, thinking about the, the ministry moments that they had along those missionary journeys that Timothy accompanied him in. 
And then it would flash back to the Apostle Paul's zoomed in face. And you would see the tears welling up in his eyes as he writes, he tells maybe even Luke or his somebody, write, write this, do your best to come to me soon. I know that's taking artistic license, but that's what I sense in the words here. Paul loves Timothy greatly, and he said it over and over and over in the book of 1 Timothy and the book of 2 Timothy. He loves Timothy. And you hear in these moments where he says, Timothy, do not delay. Come quickly. The reason why he says come soon is for two reasons. Number one, uh, he knows that his time is coming. We know pretty m a great deal about the Roman, uh, you know, court system in that day. In the first century, they had really two different hearings. You didn't have like your arraignment and then you had your trial and then you had your sentencing. You, that's not the way it worked. You showed up, they, they gave your, they had, you had a hearing and then the next time you came was your sentencing. Like you got one shot at presenting your case. So if you didn't do a good job, guess what? You know coming into the second meeting that you're, you're going to die. Paul obviously doesn't feel super comfortable about his hearing, about what went down. He says, in fact, nobody stood with me. I had no witnesses at all. I stood there by myself, but the Lord was with me, he says. And yet we see that there were people making accusations against him in that place. In particularly, this man named Demas. Demas, uh, you know, was, was there, I mean, th this man named Alexander, which we see down below there. Alexander the coppersmith, who perhaps was the one that is responsible for Paul being in this position alone. He opposed the message of the gospel. So what we find here is Paul, uh, you know, understanding my time has come. The trial, the, the, the hearing didn't go well. I'm probably going to die. Timothy, come soon. So that's one of the reasons. The other reason is because winter was coming. And back in that day, it wasn't like you, you when winter came, you didn't travel. You couldn't take boats on the sea because it was too rough. And so you just wouldn't be able to travel. So Paul's telling, telling him, come soon, Timothy. Don't wait. We need you to come now. And um, not, not only that, but he goes on to tell us here that he'd been deserted by Demas, that his, his whatever, one of his travel mates, Crescents, was gone to Galatia. Don't know anything about that guy. Don't know what he was. We know who Titus is. Titus was also a son of Timothy in the faith, uh, whom his, his book comes right after 2 Timothy, in fact. So we see that, that he is gone as well. The only person there is Luke. You know who Luke is, right? Luke was a physician. Luke is also the writer of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is also the writer of the book of Acts. It's been said and suggested that Luke's writings of the Gospel of Luke and the writing of the books of Acts was what was used in Paul's first hearing and his first imprisonment to get him out of jail. And in fact, here's what the message is that Paul preaches. It was perhaps Luke that gave uh, them the account of Jesus Christ and 
of what the Lord had done. So, so at this point, the only person that is there is, is Luke. And I'm sure he's thankful that Luke is there. But somebody hurt him deeply here. And it's this man, Demas. Demas deserted him. That word literally means to utterly abandon and leave someone helpless in a dire situation. Demas was no friend of Paul, really. He was a fair-weather friend at best, and we have those in our lives, don't we? People that are there when things are okay, but when your life falls apart, they distance themselves from you. And if you've ever experienced that, that is a lonely place to be. And you really find out who your real friends are, don't you? In those moments where you have some great need, and you see what, you know, the Lord kind of separates the sheep from the goats, if you will. And he, he shows you who is truly standing with you. Well, we have this moment with Paul. We don't know why he deserted Paul. Maybe he was afraid to die. Maybe he was ashamed of the gospel. Um, it's interesting because at first it seems like Demas is a, Paul calls him a fellow worker. Uh, in Philemon 24, he calls him, he, he says Demas greets uh, people in the church of Colossae in Colossians chapter 4 verse 14. It's not like Paul didn't know Demas. He knew him. He traveled with him. He was in ministry with him. And yet, here we find Demas bailing. Why is he bailing? Because he's in love with the world. He's in love with the world. And you know where he goes? Metropolitan Thessalonica where the wealthy and the rich hang out. He goes there so that he can experience the good things of this life. He's in love with the world. He doesn't love the world. He's in love with the world. There's a difference. I, I love lots of things about this world. I love the mountains. I love the streams. I love all the little fish in the streams that I eat when I catch them and I put them in. A, they're good. I love those things. There's lots of things about the world that I love. But I'm not in love with the world. There's a difference. And in fact, the Apostle John would say, if you're in love with the world, you're not a believer. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's not that you're not, you know, allowing the love of the Father to come out to you. It's not in you. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. The Holy Spirit's not in you. The love of the Father's not in you. He says, verse 16, for all that is in love with the world, for all, the, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Did you see the distinction right there? The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's a clear distinction in people who love the world and who don't love the world. People who are of the world and people who are in the world. Two different things. And and we find it a very clear line here by the Apostle John here who tells us, listen, you, you can't love the world and love God. You know why? Because the world is a dark, demonically influenced 
place. And the people who love the world love the darkness. They love that part of it. That's why they love the world is because they love their darkness. Jesus said that. You can't love the world and love Jesus. You, you can't do that. The downfall of Demas was that he was in love with this world and I'm sure that broke Paul's heart. I'm sure it was like one of those moments uh, when Jesus uh, was approached by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says to him, friend, why have you come? You betray the Son of Man with a kiss? As Judas kisses him. All the other disciples are going, dude, why is he with those guys? They don't even have a clue. And Jesus knows what's going on. And I think like we would be angry in that moment. But I think Christ is broken in that moment, knowing Judas as the son of perdition. I don't think Paul is angry with Demas. I think he's broken for him. That he's in love with the world. That he loves the world more than he loves the Lord. It's such a sad place to be. Paul was lonely in these moments. He was lonely. He wanted companionship. And so he requests Timothy to come. And now uh, we find who it is that he's to bring. Look at verse 11b. Get Mark. Bring him with you. For he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So it's interesting here that Paul says get Mark and bring him uh, with you. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you might recall that Mark also was a deserter. But there's a difference in his response here. Mark, in his desertion of Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, Acts chapter 13, you can look it up, he wanted to leave them for whatever reason. He just was like, maybe he was on the mission field and he's like, dude, I'm not cut out for this. I don't, I don't like the sacrifices being made. Maybe he was afraid of the oppositions they face every place they went. There was oppositions. I, we don't know why, but what we know is that he left. And so Paul and Barnabas come back to Jerusalem on their, after their first missionary journey. They're getting ready to go on their second missionary journey. And here's the dialogue between them, between Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. And, and it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia uh, and had not gone with them to the work. So he bailed on them in that moment. And Paul says, I don't want to take that guy. Verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the, the churches. This, there was a huge dispute between Paul and Barnabas as a result of John Mark, who Paul now says has changed. You might relate to Paul in this way where, and you might not understand what maybe the reasoning behind why he didn't want John Mark to come with him on the second missionary journey. Have you ever gone into a serious situation where you know that 
you know, your, your, your squad needs to be there. Everybody needs to be on the same page. Like, we can't have any weak links in this situation. Like, we're, this is serious business. That's Paul's missionary journeys. And John Mark is an incredible discourager, I think. You know, maybe he was a complainer. Maybe he was, you know, dragging his feet along the way. Why do we have to go here? What do we have to stop and talk to those guys for? You know, and, and Paul's having to encourage him while he's trying to do the work of the ministry. I don't know. But, but here's the reality is that Paul didn't want to bring him. And so Paul and Barnabas, who is uh, John Mark's uncle, says, no, no, we're going to take him. And so they break up. And he, you see the disagreement with believers right here. And how believers handle disagreements. And, you know, there was a sharp disagreement there. Now, you know, I, I don't know if that got to a sinful place. It could have. Paul was a man. Barnabas was a man. But what I know is that, here's the thing is, they stood on task even though uh, they, di they didn't allow their disagreement with brothers in the church to stop them from doing what Christ called them to do. Which I hear all the time. Oh, I just, I stopped going to church because they're just a bunch of hypocrites in there. And I'm thinking, you're pretty much a hypocrite for saying that. But okay, I understand what you're saying. But I think that, you know, at the end of the day, um, is that what God told you to do? Or are you walking by your feelings? You know, when we, we're going to have disagreements with brothers and sisters in Christ. That's going to happen. But it shouldn't hinder our ministry. And, and it, di it, did hinder, it didn't hinder their ministry. They both went out. Paul, Barnabas saw something in John Mark that he wanted to minister to him with. And it apparently worked because at some point that relationship got healed up. And John Mark became very useful to Paul in the ministry. You know, he was once somebody who hindered the ministry. Now he's somebody who's very useful in the ministry. And, and that's why we don't ever discount people, folks. You don't ever write a person off because God can do anything. And I don't care if it's an unbeliever or a believer. God can do anything. So we remain, uh, you know, walking by faith in whatever relationships that we have, trusting the Lord that he can do anything in that situation. We walk by faith. We believe in the Lord. And then we, we carry on with our business. And that's what he does. But it's interesting there that, that there was a Holy Spirit transformation in the heart of Mark that um, made him be incredibly useful to Paul in the ministry. He became probably an encourager to him instead of a discourager. He also mentions Tychicus here, uh, who Paul had sent to Ephesus. Tychicus was probably, his ministry was probably delivering letters to churches. And in fact, he delivered the message, messages uh, to the church at Ephesus. He delivered the letter to the church at Colossae. He delivered the letter probably to Titus as well. So, you know, here was a man who remained faithful to his ministry. He fulfilled his ministry. And so you and I ought to be like Tychicus here, continuing on and doing what we're called to do. And uh, fulfilling the ministry, no matter what that looks like, no matter how small you might think that is, it's important. He was simply a guy that delivered messages. 
Paul goes on to tell Timothy not only who to bring, but also what to bring. In verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. So Timothy was to come to Paul to bring his cloak that, and, and some things that he had left behind there in Troas. Um, he left them with this man named Carpus again. His name, we know, means fruitful, but we don't know anything else about that guy. Maybe Paul stayed with him in Troas. Some people believe that this is where Paul got arrested um, here and that he was arrested in Troas, and so he left those things there because they were prized possessions for him. Your cloak, you know, your jacket, your outer garment, it was a poncho, essentially, a big circular, um, really heavy garment that had a hole in the middle of it, and you would put that over yourself at nighttime or when it was cold, and it would be used to warm you, to keep you, you know, at nighttime to keep the elements off of you. Everybody had one, but it's not like they had multiple of ones. Sometimes we don't get that because we, we change our clothes multiple times a day, maybe. They didn't do that. Dude, you know, these guys probably had one set of clothes, maybe two if you were lucky. And then they had an outer garment that they carried around everywhere because you never know what's going to happen with the weather. So it was, it was one of those things. It was a prized possession of Paul. He needed it. Not only that, but he also talks about the manuscript. It talks about the, his books. Remember, Paul was a scholar. Paul was trained up from the time he was a little boy by Jewish scholars. And he was a student. And so he had books, which probably put him in a different category in that culture because not everybody has books. I don't know about you, but I got books coming out of my ears at my house. And yet in, those, in that culture, if you had books, you were doing well. You, you were, that was a sign of wealth, actually. Paul had books. What, what were those books? They were probably, maybe they were um, commentaries of the Old Testament. Maybe they were, um, you know, Old Testament, um, you know, things. Maybe they were, uh, we don't know what they are, but, but they, they have something to do with him in ministry. Not only that, but he wants the parchments, and maybe those are, those are you know, perhaps some of, the, some of the letters being written and circulating in the church at that time. Maybe Matthew's gospel was in there. Who knows? We, we, you know, there were different letters that were written. Parchment paper also was what Paul writ, wrote the scriptures on. So, you know, these things were prized possession to Paul. He tells him, make sure that you bring them to me. I find it interesting that he, out of anything that he could have asked for, that he asked for those things. And it tells you the heart behind what, what he's doing. He's a student of God's word, and he will be a student of God's word until the day that he dies. I love what Spurgeon said about this. He's, he rebuking, he's rebuking pastors in this, in this particular quote for, for those who neglect the study of God's word. And he said this about Paul. He said he was inspired, and yet he wants books. He's been preaching for at least 30 years, and yet he wants books. He had seen the Lord, and yet he wants books. He had a wider experience than most men, and yet he wants books. He had written the major part of the New Testament, and yet he wants books. Paul was someone who meditated on the Scriptures, somebody who allowed his mind to gravitate towards the scriptures in every moment. Scholars suggest that 
even the way that this is written that Paul was referencing Psalm 22 as he's writing these last words to Timothy. And in particular, verses 16 through 18. It's the very psalm that Jesus quoted while on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Paul knew the word of God, but he didn't know the word of God enough. He yearned to know it more. And I, I meet people all the time that tell me, oh yeah, I've read the Bible. You know, like it's just a book you read once and put away. And I think like, well, okay. I mean, I've read the Bible a few times, but you know, there's still so much I don't know. Yeah, I, I pretty much got it down and I'm like, really? Wow. That's awesome. Well, I guess you're better than Paul here because he doesn't have it down yet and he's the one writing this stuff, right? How amazing. Listen, student of God's word all your life. You're a student of God's word all your life. You can never get to the end of God's word. And what I find is, of course, there's one interpretation of Scripture, right? But there's many applications. And that's why God's Word continually yields fruit in our lives over and over and over again because it, it can be used in a hundred different ways in your life. There is one truth. And you might have the principle down. But how to apply the principle, you may have no clue. Right? And so you read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, hey, that's speaking about your situation right here. And you're like, oh, well, I've read that multiple times. I've never seen that before. That's because the application of His Scripture is fresh. The Holy Spirit ins inspires. He, 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 he teaches us in the moment how to apply God's Word. You'll never get to the end of that. Ever. So you're, you're a student of God's Word. Be a student of His Word forever. Until the day that you die. So we find out what Paul wanted Timothy, who to bring and what to bring. Now we tell him, Paul tells him what to watch out for in verse 14. Alexander, the coppersmith, did great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposes our message. Listen, there's one thing for sure when you're in ministry is that uh, you will be hurt by people. No matter what ministry you're in, whether you're in a ministry like I'm in or you're just in normal ministry, day-to-day -day ministry with people, if there's people involved, you will get hurt. Because hurt people, hurting people hurt people. And so when you're encountering people and you're trying to minister to somebody and they hurt you, it's probably because they're hurting and they need ministering. And so if we ever, listen, if, if you give up every time you get hurt, hurt in the ministry, that's going to happen real quick. And you're not going to move forward. Paul knows what it's like to have, he's got deep wounds. Deep, deep ministry wounds from people that he walked with, that he poured into, that he loved on. And they stabbed him in the back. And that happens in ministry, man. You know, Jesus knows what that feels like too, by the way. He was, des everybody deserted him. <laughs> it was him and the soldiers and his betrayer, Judas, who at one point fl fled as well. He knows what it feels like. But here's the awesome thing about the Lord is that even when we get hurt in ministry, you know, he uses it. And, and, and here we find Paul is, Paul is telling Timothy, watch out for Alexander, the coppersmith. He's telling him, he's giving him a warning. And the reason why Timothy needs to watch out is because he strongly opposes the gospel. Um, 
he's telling Timothy, when, and, and he must be in this area, he must be in Rome, because he's calling Timothy to Rome, and he's telling Timothy to watch out for him when he gets there. So here's a guy that was firm in trying to wreck Paul's life. He's trying to, he, he did great harm to him. And I, I mentioned that I think that, he, uh, you know, many scholars think, not me, I'm not a scholar, but other people think that, uh, you know, he stood in the hearing against Paul and gave testimony against him just like it happened to Jesus when they brought false accusations against Jesus that Alexander probably did the same thing and brought false allegations against Paul in that courtroom setting. Maybe he was an informant for Paul. One thing is for sure that Timothy needs to be aware of him because he's a messenger of Satan who opposes the gospel. So what do we do with people like that? Do we not minister to them? Do we stop talking to them? You know what? We trust the Lord with them. Because remember, vengeance does not belong to you. Remember, you don't get the opportunity, you don't get to, to try and um, make somebody else pay for what they've done to you. If somebody opposes you, you don't oppose them. If somebody hurts you, you don't hurt them. That's a fleshly tendency, right? But the spirit tendency wants to bring healing, wants to bring reconciliation in that situation. Now, I will say this, that you can't reconcile with somebody that doesn't want to reconcile. Right? You, you, can't, you can't minister to somebody that doesn't want your ministry. But if you have a tendency to have a conversation with somebody, and you can see that they're just not where they need to be, but and the things that they say hurt you at times, and yet they're, they're listening, they're willing to listen, that's a ministry worth taking up. That's the kind of ministry Jesus had with you, by the way, at some point in your life, where you refused to listen to him, and he continued to, 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 to speak into your life. There, there is a point in which, though, you know, you don't cast your pearls before swine, and that's exactly what Jesus meant when he said that, that when a person closes their heart off from you, they close their heart off from the gospel, then there's no point in having a conversation at that point. How do we know that? You better be walking with the Spirit. Paul, probably thinking of Scripture in this moment, notice what he says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Deuteronomy 32 Verses 35 and 36, he's quote, quoting this probably, Vengeance is mine and, and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. When people oppose us or hurt us, our response ought, ought not to be to hurt them. We need to let them fall into the hands of the Lord. He'll deal with them, and hopefully they'll repent and come to Christ. I think that's Paul's heart for Alexander. Maybe the Lord can use us in his, way, in his life to bring him to a place of repentance. That, you know, the Lord tells us to what? Love our enemies. Pray for them. But at the same token, we are to beware of them. We are to beware of them. 
So Paul tells Timothy here, watch out. Uh, there are people that will stand in opposition to the gospel. And Timothy knows that. The gospel, guys, is offensive to people. And so there's a, maybe there's an Alexander the coppersmith in your life today that's standing in strong opposition of the message of the gospel. Again, the right response from us is not to, to stop talking about the gospel. That's the wrong response. The right response is to pray for that person and continue on with their ministry. But watch out. To be vigilant. To be, keep your eyes open. You know, the enemy is, a, is, is just, he's looking for opportunities to devour you. The Bible says that he's a, he's a, he's a roaring lion seeking those whom to devour. He wants to devour you. So you need to beware. But you need to be on mission at the same time and continue on with the gospel. He, he goes on to tell us who to trust in. Look at verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Again, his reflection is not poor me, not man, I wish they wouldn't have deserted me. His reflection is may it not be charged against them. Where did you hear that from? Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into the heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul understands where his defense lies. And maybe it's a newsflash to you, but your defense lies in the Lord. He knows the Lord is his defender. And my first reaction when I need to defend myself is to defend myself. I get in the flesh and I want to defend myself. But Paul says the Lord's your defender. Hey, listen, you need no witnesses. You need no witnesses because the Lord is on your side and he will stand with you. Not only will he stand with you, Paul, but he will strengthen you when you're weak, when you're lonely, when you feel totally isolated and you're, you know, you feel like you can't go on. The Lord will strengthen you if you're looking to him as your defender, as your trailblazer. He, we, we look to him. Paul says, listen, I'm speaking from personal experience here. The Lord delivered me from the lion's mouth. What is he talking about? Probably talking about him getting out of prison the first time. The lion's mouth, you know, was it physical lions? I don't know. But, but he was delivered by God from the lion's mouth. Or maybe a reference of Daniel in the lion's den where the Lord delivered him. Darius running down to the tomb there and says, Daniel, has your Lord delivered you? And he said, oh yeah, he delivered me. Look at these big cats back here petting them and stuff, you know. I don't know. That's, that's not how it went down. <laughs> but the Lord. And, and look at, look at, listen to his, his focus. He goes on to say, the Lord will rescue 
uh, him from every evil deed. And, and he's talking about, you know, the Lord's going to rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. This is what he's saying in this moment. I don't know if I will physically live or die, but here's what I do know, that God will deliver me. God will deliver me. He will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into the heavenly kingdom, however he chooses to do that. You know, sometimes when, when uh, we, we pray for somebody who's sick and we pray, God, will you bring healing in their life? And of course, we mean physical healing. We want God to physically heal them. And then, um, you know, so let's take Joe LaDucer for an example. You know, he said, the Lord told me he will heal me. He will heal me. And he, and he held on to that word. And, and I believe wholeheartedly that the Lord did heal Joe. He did heal him. And in fact, there are a period of time in his life where he did receive physical healing. Right? But, but that doesn't mean he's going to heal you forever physically. Right? So Joe got cancer back. A couple years later, he, he received cancer back. And, he, and Joe called me up a couple, you know, just not too long before he died. And he said, I believe wholeheartedly the Lord will heal me. But he said, you know what? I'm not sure if it's in this life though. And it's interesting that there's that perspective because God does heal you. But, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's in this life. And Paul's focus is on eternity here. He's saying, listen, I, I don't expect God to, to deliver me in this moment from death, from the final curtain coming down in my life, but I do know that God will see me through death and that he will bring me into his kingdom safely. And um, th this is a very basic understanding of the gospel, folks, is that the grave has no power over you. That because Jesus, why do you think part of the gospel, why, why, don't, why do you think just the gospel isn't just like Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, that's it? Wouldn't that suck? Like Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, that's it. Well, he was buried and he's in a tomb. Why is a, a requirement for true faith to be born again that you must believe that Jesus rose again from the dead? Because he's demonstrating that his his blood is enough to cover your sin, to, to wipe your sin away, his, um, that his sacrifice was sufficient for you in the rising again from the dead, that sin and death no longer have power on you. What kind of a savior would Jesus be if we still died and were buried in the grave? He'd be a savior just like every other religious leader, like Mohammed, like Hare Krishna, like all these other religious people, like Gandhi who are dead and buried in a grave somewhere. But Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And this is a basic understanding of the gospel, folks, that you too, if you're in Christ, you too will rise again from the dead. That the, You'll pass right through the grave. You won't stop in the grave. You will go right through the grave. Pre-Christ, these guys went to Abraham's bosom. They went to paradise. Jesus uh, said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me where? In paradise, Abraham's bosom. Because Jesus hadn't died and risen again from the dead, people couldn't go into the presence of the Father. But once Jesus died, rose again from the dead, he led captivity captive. He emptied Abraham's bosom. He took him to heaven. And now for you and I to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. The grave has no hand on you folks. It is awesome, man.
Praise the Lord. Paul understands this, and so he, I don't think he's worried about dying here because he knows who is his rescuer. He knows who is his deliverer. And so he says, I know the Lord will deliver me safe. Listen, do you have that assurance this morning? Like, do you, do you know that you know that you know that when the final curtain comes down on your life that you're going to pass through the grave and you're going to go right into the presence of God? Paul's not questioning his salvation here. He's not, he's not going, man, I'm not sure if that will happen. I hope that happens. He knows. The, and and here's, the, here's the awesome thing about that is you can know too. You, you can know that you know that you know that when you go, when you die, that, you can go, that you're going to be with the Lord. You can know that. And you can be firm in your belief in that. But you know how that comes? By spending time with the Lord and watching his mighty hand work in your life. It's a growing experience in faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more time you spend in God's word, the more assurance you get in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so every time an altar call goes out, you don't have to go like, man, I feel like I should pray this, but um, I'm, I think I'm a believer, but I feel like, you know, I, I should pray this and, and you know, whatever. You, you can have assurance. You can have assurance. What, what I find interesting is those people who have no insurance are probably saved. People that have too much assurance probably aren't. You know? And, and, and generally, you can look at a person's life and see that. Person, you know. So, so here's the reality. You can know. Paul had total security in his salvation. And, uh, you know, he knew who held him in his hand. No one can take you from Jesus' hand if you're in his hand. So get yourself submerged in his word and gain that assurance. Because, listen, salvation has nothing to do with who you are or what you've done. It has everything to do with who he is and what he's done. And that's what Paul is putting his faith in. He's not putting his faith in himself. He's putting his faith in Jesus Christ. He goes on here to these final words. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus and Erasmus uh, remained in Corinth, and I left uh, Trophimus, who was ill in Miletus. Uh, do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Puddens, I don't know about that name, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers. I'm probably not even saying that right. The Lord, will be, uh, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. I love the final words of Paul here. They reveal his heart for people. Paul didn't forget where these people were. He knew exactly where they were. He knew what was going on with them. And he's relaying to Timothy, I hope you love them the way I did. I hope you love them the way that I love them. Here's where they are. He loved like Christ's love, folks. He loved like Jesus Christ. And in fact, there's no greater evidence of Paul's Christ-likeness than the book of Philemon, in my opinion, where he writes to this master about a slave named Onesiphorus who says, Onesimus who says, he says, listen, put his debt on my tab. I'll pay it. You receive him in and you use him, but put his debt on my tab. It, it, it's it's Christ's likeness that loves people the way that, um, you know, the way that Paul's loving people here. I, I don't think anybody would blame him for being self-centered in this moment. Like thinking about himself in this moment. 
in his situation. I don't think any of us would go, well, man, that's so fleshly, Paul, you know, uh, because we would probably respond in a, in a similar manner. And yet he's not self-centered. He's, he's other-centered in this situation. Paul is, Paul is keeping that perspective that his hope is not in this life. His hope is in life eternal with Christ forever and ever. And notice what he says here in the very last words. This is his song. This is his song. He's like, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. It's, it's all about the Lord. His life was all about the Lord. He wants Timothy's life to be all about the Lord. God will be with him, but he has to acknowledge God's presence. God has never, ever left you, Christian. He's never left you. Even the moments when you feel like you're all alone, you're not. He's with you. He's with your spirit. And he's pouring his grace out on you always. Listen, the Lord loves you so much. And he's with you. And he, he wants to forgive you for things. Uh, he's not holding things back from you. He wants to hold things from you that are bad for you. So if we can just get the right perspective of God, it will change everything in our lives. Here we have the final words of 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul, to his son in the faith, where he has passed the torch to Timothy, and he said, my work is done. Here you go, Timothy. Take the gospel forward now, and you do the same in somebody else's life. Amen? Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for what an incredible journey we've gone through in these four chapters, Lord. I've learned so much about your grace about your mercy, about your love and your compassion, Lord. About how forgiving you are, Lord. I've also learned, Father, that I have a mission to complete. That I have a call on my life. That you have a plan and a purpose for me specifically in this world. That you have a ministry for me to fulfill. And not just me, but every person in this room, Lord. You know every heart. You know where every person is today. You know every need in this place. You are Lord God Almighty. You are our creator. We ask you in these last moments, Lord, that you just reveal yourself in whatever way you need to to us this morning, that we can hold on to you that we can stay on task, Lord, that we can live a life of legacy. And that, Lord, we would, we would not allow anything in this world to get in the way of what you call us to. So help us, Father, even right now, to hear your spirit. Lord, if there's things that we need forgiveness for this morning, will you help us, Lord, to just cast those things at your feet, to, to repent of them, to turn away from them, to turn to you. Lord, if we have been off task and we need to, we're like the prodigal son who's coming back to the father today. What's interesting about that story is you didn't, you didn't take your son behind the woodshed to give him a spanking, Lord. You put a robe on him and a ring on him when he returned because you're a gracious and good God. And so for this morning, if there's anyone here that you're returning to the Lord, know this, that he too is pouring out his grace on you. He wants to forgive you. You just come to him in whatever way that you need to this morning.
And if you don't know Jesus this morning, the Lord would ask you to come too. Father, we pray in these last moments that you just have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.